0: The next episode of Nerd, Flicks, and Chill will start
1: in... 3, 2, 1, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd, Flicks, and Chill. And we're going to have another Game of Thrones episode recap. We can only say that one more time after this week. We're going to talk about Season 8, Episode 5, The Bells. Uh, an episode of Game of Thrones that, you know... Nobody's really talking about.
0: Yeah, it's strange. It's just been so
1: quiet on
0: the internet.
1: I know. It's like nobody has an opinion about it at all.
0: Oh, man. It's This is this season has been very different. And I'm not just talking about the show itself, but everybody that that watches it or that is watching it, it's just it has such a different feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like there were multiple think pieces this week by the new york times the washington post cnn like that's what happens when you're a cultural phenomenon i guess but uh wow there are a lot of eyes on the show so before we get into our wrap wrap up wrap recap whatever it is we do uh carrie where are you joining us from this week
0: i am back in london england the place that's kind of become my second home i've been here more than i have my own home in the last year so this has kind of been my home base, and uh, right now this is my last. This is my last week here that I know of. So I, I don't know when I'll be back again.
1: Well, well, I am on the road yeah, this week too. It's kind of not in, I'm not. Oh, like the ending of Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah. It, oh, it really is because I am. I, I will actually be here for the very final episode. Oh wow. man. Now this. Now this city has a double meaning to it.
1: Well, I am on the road, too, this week. I am in Virginia Beach, Virginia, so if you hear Air Force jets flying outside my window, uh, that's what it is. They are just streaking across the sky here, so I can't do anything uh, really about that because they are so loud, but very awesome to watch, by the way. Cool. Okay, so let's get into this thing. Uh, we're going to kind of do a more loose recap this week because there's not as many like scene breaks here. It's a lot of it is build up and then that whole big uh, bit of destruction that happens in this episode. So, yeah, um, there has been a lot of digital ink spilled yet again. A lot of voices shouted into microphones, kind of similar to ours. But we're now going to add our voices to the fray. Uh, first thoughts, Carrie, on this episode.
0: Um, uh, well, first of all, I I think the episode was beautifully shot. There's some amazing shots in this episode. Um, and, and musically, I think it's beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. performance wise from a lot of the actors, I thought there was some amazing things that happened in here. Um, but to go along with a lot of the controversy on the show, I think I understand a lot of the dissent that people are feeling. I understand it. I don't necessarily agree with all of it. I can kind of see it from both sides. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm reserving how I really feel about it until I know what happens with the final episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I love this episode. I actually think it's great. Um, I, I understand that there are a lot of upset Daenerys Targaryen fans out there, yeah. and I sympathize with that because it is sad and disappointing to watch her kind of give in to her worst impulses. But that being said, I actually feel like this particular episode was as in line with the spirit of Game of Thrones as any other that i've seen like that's what this show kind of does in so many ways and i don't know how many more ways george r r martin has needed to say it he hates the concept of war war makes monsters out of everyone and this is that this is the the brutality of war the brutality of conquest You know, we talk about the history and lore of Game of Thrones and so much of it involves the initial conquest of the Targaryens. But I also feel like people forgot what the house words of House Targaryen are. Fire and blood, man. Right. Like that's that's what they do. And that's that's the dark side of conquest. And the fact that this episode could make me feel angry about one of the characters I love and make me feel sympathy for a character that I hate. Is part of that part of what this makes the story great and part of what people fell in love with about it. So, um, I understand why people are upset, yeah. uh, particularly all those people who name their children Daenerys or Khaleesi. <laughs> um, but you know yeah. what? Hey, whatever. That's on you guys. Um, but I understand it, but I actually feel like the better storytelling was served in this episode.
0: Yeah, I, um, I can, I can understand, um, like I said, I can understand it from both sides. And I think, I think the problem is, I, and I've thought about this quite a bit. And what happened with Daenerys and the turn that she took, yes, it is, uh, part of her, history it is there are inklings of it and her coldness and her ruthlessness uh throughout the seasons but and i understand what people are upset about is that she has fought to kind of overcome her lineage she has fought and she was um you know fighting that rage within her and and trying to be the better person and um, you know, the breaker of chains, and and you know all of that, and the people that she was always the most ruthless against were those that were against her, and not innocent people. And mm-hmm. I understand her decline and despair, and the fact that she's in this foreign land. Nobody, it's not, it's not that nobody knows her, but nobody, uh is on her side really and everybody that was on her side is gone and she's incredibly isolated and we've heard from the beginning that a targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing and sure. i i think what the problem is is that her decline has felt very abrupt this season and i think it's because and and this has been a long standing argument um or problem that people have had with the show is that the passage of time um, it feels the pacing feels very fast even though there are subtle references to passage of time that you know even though we go from one episode to the next the battle of Winterfell and when they were having their celebration it didn't happen one thing right after the other because we see some of the injuries that people had have started to heal and You know, there's little subtleties that's showing passages of time. Um, for example, in this last episode, we see, uh, Daenerys and her hair is disheveled and she's looking gaunt, like she hasn't been eating. And so it's, it, that doesn't happen overnight like that. You just decide not to eat one meal and all of a sudden you look terrible. Um, so that's showing us that there's been a passage of time, but that's the thing is that this stuff is happening off camera. And I think there's this descent of her, um, into giving into this madness giving into this rage that she's feeling and and i i wish there was more that we saw with her being conflicted by that and trying to fight it because i think all of a sudden as she's sitting there on top of drogon in king's landing it was beautifully portrayed by Amelia Clark, but it was almost as if, to me, it felt too abrupt and almost unearned for her to all of a sudden snap on a dime like that. And that's how it felt. And I know that's not necessarily how it was meant to be portrayed. And it was supposed to be a decline um, over a period and passage of time. But we didn't see that. And to go from just one thing to the next... It just was kind of jarring and I think ultimately that's deep down that's what a lot of people are having an issue with. Not that she did go crazy or not that she did, you know, turn into the Mad Queen or snap like that. But it was like it felt in some ways
1: unearned. Yeah, I think what you're saying is 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 probably true of how a lot of people feel.
0: Yeah, and I can completely understand it.
1: Yeah, no, I totally get it. I totally, I mean, I would have loved to see you know three more episodes of Game of Thrones this season, and or four more episodes this season, and three more last season. I would have loved to see that. So I think that is a fair criticism. I think it is very easy to say that you know they could have drawn that out a little bit more. Um, I, for me personally, I did not need that though. I I didn't need the the to prolong her descent. My. Uh, it, it would have been nice to have, no doubt about it But I didn't need it, personally, as a viewer I understand people who do, though Because, for me, I think about her arc As starting to decline The minute she sailed away from Marine. Mm. At the end of season 6 She is max power Daenerys Targaryen She's got, you know, fleets of ships She's got great houses behind her She's got all three of her dragons And then as soon as she lands in King's Landing It all starts to go downhill I mean, I I heard people say that, you know, well, Missandei's death alone shouldn't have been enough to send her over the edge, but it wasn't. It is a series of deaths of the people that have been closest to her. I mean, maybe even more so than Missandei, Jorah the week before, and, you know, uh, one of her dragons as well. And then two dragons, if you go back to season seven, and the constant losses and the constant failures of Tyrion, She and then the rejection of, of Jon. You know, she is slowly finding herself more and more isolated. So I think for me, I've seen that descent coming a little bit more, but I do like, like you said, I understand the people who have a problem with, with how quickly it felt to them. But for me as a viewer, I didn't need, uh, anymore. I also wanted to touch on the fact that. Yeah. I feel like labeling her as a mad queen is a misnomer. I don't think the show does that. I I think the fans have kind of done that. But I think that she is a character who has been like I, I was trying to think of this from from her scenario, from from her standpoint. And when she is on the walls of King's Landing, looking at the Red Keep, all the different things that must be running through her head. Because King's Landing, the Red Keep is kind of like her ancestral home. That's where the Targaryens set up shop, right? Like that, that that's where her father was murdered. And mm-hmm. it's its ironic that Tyrion is there at the gates. And the last time a Lannister was at the gates, it was Tywin Lannister. And Ares II let him in and they sacked the city and betrayed Ares. And so there's that betrayal going through her mind as well. Her isolation, her suppressed rage, and her loneliness—I think at that moment it all caught up to her.
0: Well, you know, I—I'm wondering as we're talking about this, and as she's—I'm wondering if this would have maybe made it click a little bit more with people. I don't—I don't know, and I don't know maybe if it would have been too on the nose and too cheesy, but she did seem to be. Sitting there and contemplating and, and having an internal struggle, um, as she's on the wall looking at the Red Keep. I wonder if it would have been interesting to kind of play, not necessarily a montage, but, um, a collection of sound bites, like he, to hear burn them all, to hear, um, different things that would be going on in her mind. The different things that she would be thinking of, like, we're hearing the thoughts in her head. We're hearing what other people are saying. We're hearing what her father said, what happened there in the Red Keep. We hear, um, uh, maybe hear Olena Tyrell say, be the dragon, you know, and right. hear these little bits and then have her just, that's when you see her snap and then she goes, and, and destroys the Red Keep. And I'm wondering, too, if people would have been fine with her only destroying the Red Keep and not having her go and burn the city and everybody in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. But to me, just simply calling her mad is a little bit of an, an undersell as to what she's gone through. Like,
0: there needs to be PTSD queen.
1: Well, she grew up with one family member who abused her and used her, right? Like, and, and she had a father who was a crazy person and she has had people trying to kill her. She has had all these other things that have happened to her that she has overcome. And then to build up this support system to only see it dismantled piece by piece by piece. To then get so close to your end goal and to see in that red keep Cersei, whose pride prevents her from stepping down almost like she's asking for it at this point. And I can see that rage just, just, you know, not being containable any longer. And she made this really dark, sinister choice. And, um, I think it goes a little bit beyond just simply saying, well, she's crazy. Like her dad, I think this is mm-hmm. earned within the character. I mean, you, we can debate about whether or not the show set it up correctly, but, one thing that is always important to remember about Daenerys as a character is her retribution has always been severe, even against her enemies and even perceived enemies. And she has burned some innocent people before. Uh, so we always have to keep in mind that that while we've supported Daenerys, it's it's always been a part of her character that she punishes people in very severe ways. So I don't know. I have just a lot of thoughts about Daenerys in this episode and it's just, it's so worth talking about because it's kind of one of the pivotal things that's ever happened in the show.
0: Yeah. And there was something that you said, and I think you just kind of nailed it on the head that was that that, yes, it is something that is within her character, but no, I don't think the show set it up properly. And it just, I think that just kind of combines with what the two of us have said is that um It it just it didn't, and when I say that it didn't feel earned, I don't mean that it that was something that was out of character and that she doesn't have a history of that. That's purely on the setup of the show. Is that it felt very abrupt? Um, Yes, there are signs that are there, but it was almost like it was maybe too subtle. And I think for something that big, you shouldn't necessarily be that subtle.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know what? It, you know what it made me think of. This is kind of a weird comparison. Do you know the the first thing I thought of when I saw What's her it? start burning all the people? Mm. I thought about Sharp Objects because that is essentially a show about generational suppressed rage, and I thought this was like her kind of acting out like those characters on on that show did, and in, in the way that they had all this suppressed rage that manifested itself in in some dark ways for some of those characters. Uh, the same thing seems to apply to Daenerys here, where it's just this suppressed rage. And then the fact that the one person that she has left is John, but then John kind of rejects her and now she just doesn't seem to have any sense of mercy anymore. And you're right. Amelia Clark crushed it in this episode. I actually thought, regardless of what people think of the episode itself, and again, I love the episode. I, it's one of my favorites, to be honest. Um, because it's that dark and haunting thing, but I think the performances are just absolutely incredible here. Lena Heaty is about as good as she's ever been. Like, ah, oh, she's so great. Uh,
0: see, now I, 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 I'm conflicted with what you, with what you're saying. Um, yeah, she's, she's incredible as Cersei. However, she hasn't had anything to chew on at all this season. And, and for, for to say, oh, she's as good as she's ever been. All she did was fucking stand there and look. She didn't have anything to do or say pretty much this entire season. And I think the character of Cersei's been so misserved this season. It's been so frustrating. And, um, that's another one of my frustrations with this that she just, she hasn't had anything to do
1: when she's there with Jamie talking about how she doesn't want to die. Like I felt legitimate sympathy for her.
0: Yeah.
1: And I also think it's kind of weird because this is another, uh, this is kind of a humorous thing that I find within like the game of Thrones fandom is the moral ambiguity that this show tends to create in us as viewers Mm -hmm. where I have heard so many people Bo- say both of these things Daenerys went too far and Cersei's death wasn't cruel enough right. and I find those two ideas to be kind of extraordinary that we can kind of try to keep those ideas in our heads at the same time like Daenerys went too far burning innocent people and then it was like Cersei got off easy she should have been burned <laughs> alive this is such a weird thing that that's where yeah. we are yeah. uh, culturally I think that like to me I found that humorous because I've heard that that argument come up so much Uh, We also have the death of Varys in this episode. Did you happen to catch that subtle hint that he was trying to poison Daenerys? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's like, we'll try again. Yeah, we'll try again.
1: Yeah, this struck me as pure desperation on his part. Yeah. Yeah, this was a desperation move. I think this was him knowing what was about to come and he was just out of moves. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take. I actually love the execution scene itself because of the way Drogon kind of comes out of the shadows there. Yeah. And the way that Daenerys is framed in that shot. I thought that was some (laughs) real. I thought that was some really, really great uh, cinematography there. I really enjoyed that a lot.
0: But also with Peter Dinklage as Tyrion in that scene, I thought was really, I, I, I was frustrated and, and at the same time kind of felt for him. I thought Varys was very dignified in how he accepted, you know, what was going to happen and I thought I, I was kind of conflicted. At first I thought it was kind of brave and then uh, I didn't know what to think about Tyrion saying, you know, it was me. It was very Olena Tyrell but um you know, it was me. I was the one that did it. And I'm thinking, why, why, why did you do this? This is your friend. Why are you doing this? And, and it, it was so strange that Varys was being put to death for treason. And then immediately he turns around and does the same thing and lets Jamie go. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting, but I thought Peter Dinklage played it off really well because he was just, you could tell he was, he was conflicted about it and wasn't happy about what was happening. And, but at the same time, he felt that's what he needed to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is kind of Tyrion betraying Varys. And I feel like this was actually very easy to see coming. Mm. I wasn't surprised by this at all, actually. Because no. it just seemed like that's the direction that Tyrion was going in. And he just seems to be so desperate to believe that Daenerys is the person that, that he wants her to be. Or that she can be the person that he hopes that she is. That... um He wants to kind of put an end to it. He wants to put an end to the scheming and get behind somebody that he sees as a true visionary and a leader. And, of course, we we all know how it ends up turning out. Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, you know, John is is there and he's. Again, he's talking about how he doesn't want this, doesn't want that. John is about as reluctant as he's ever been. Uh, John's journey through this episode is interesting. He doesn't get a whole lot of dialogue, but I actually really like what Kit Harrington does in this episode in terms of how he's able to communicate John's emotions yeah. throughout this episode. Yeah. You know, and there are some things that are really cool in terms of how the visuals are set up, where you have this Golden Company armor, and they're shiny, and they even the name's the Golden Company, as they're all kind of lined up outside the gates of King's Landing. And then you see that shot of just those hardened Northerners who have just faced death, and the Northerners look frightening, actually.
0: Yeah, they look like the Wildlings, almost.
1: They do, and it's interesting, because if you watch the game revealed after the episode... Uh, You can hear Miguel Sapochnik talk about how he mirrored some shots of Battle of the Bastards, where he framed um, the Northern Army in this episode, similar to the way he framed the Bolton Army in the Battle of the Bastards episode, to kind of imply the flip, where here the heroes are kind of almost looking like the villains, which kind of is the setup to what eventually happens in this episode. Right. And I think that's a really interesting bit of visual storytelling. I think the the contrast that was drawn there was was really um, was really impressive.
0: Yeah, there's some beautiful visuals in this episode, and I mean, especially with Drogon and Daenerys when they're just completely sacking the city. I mean, there's just there's a beautiful long range shot where it's kind of i think it's from Cersei's point of view and she's looking across the city and you can just see Drogon in the in the background just decimating things and it was just horribly beautiful
1: yeah and look at look at how those shots of Cersei in the red keep align with the shots of her in the Winds of Winter episode when she blew up the the Sept of Baelor and you can see that she's framed in a very similar way but her Facial expression is completely different. So there's some interesting kind of mirroring that they're doing there. Uh, And then, of course, you have Daenerys taking out Euron's fleet because she did what you said, attack from above. She also used a little bit of the sunlight and the clouds to kind of uh, push her advantage there. And uh, that, that was the end of the Iron Fleet.
0: Yeah, that was very fast. That and the Golden Company gone very quickly.
1: Oh yeah, Golden Company, yeah they they were not so golden. They were they were not they were not great. But uh, I do like the way those visuals are presented to Drogon just lighting everything up. And I mean, this is also kind of relentless Drogon too, because I don't know. I almost got the sense, and and this is maybe just me projecting on the show, but Drogon as a digital creature felt angrier in this episode too. Cause I feel like they, they made it, it, they made an emphasis of showing the speed and velocity and firepower a little bit more than they have previously.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, of course we also have that scene with Tyrion and Jamie, which I really, really liked too.
0: That was probably one, probably one of the best scenes of the episode, I think.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of emotional impact in there. I'm, I'm sure they probably filmed it last, right? Uh, the, their last scene together. You know, they probably filmed that last, I'm sure because you get a little bit of real emotion there, yeah. I'm curious what percentage of this show Jamie has been chained up to something.
0: <laughs> Not nearly as much as you think.
1: Dude is always getting caught.
0: Well, they did say it was he was the dumbest Lannister.
1: I know I actually love that callback. I thought that was great. Oh, man. But I thought their scene together was really, really good, too. Uh I also love this, the shots of Arya and the Hound walking into King's Landing together, because they just look so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, another great, great visual there. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk Clegane Bowl. Yeah,
0: w- insert weird sound here that whatever that is
1: insert air horns
0: (laughs) that that's the one i couldn't remember what it was like is it a digital thing is it no
1: so you and i talk a lot about some of the makeup work and prosthetic work that shows do what did you think of the way they made the mountain look
0: um i liked the way that he looked better when i saw stills afterwards I don't like the way it looked on camera. Um I thought immediately I was like, "Oh, it's Anakin, it's Darth Vader." Um or Humpty uh, beefed out Humpty Dumpty. I wished that he was more rotten. Um we've really only seen around his eyes. Um, for the last few seasons and there seemed to have been more discoloration and things that were happening and then when he all of a sudden takes his helmet off it's all it was mostly white Um, like I said though it looks a lot better in some of the stills uh, that I've seen um, even on uh, the guy that plays the mountain Um, on his personal Instagram there's some incredible shots I'm like well that looks good why didn't it look that way on camera um, for some reason it just didn't pick up. Um, or not, it, I just, I just wish he was a, a bit more rotten looking hmm. and he just, um, yeah, I didn't care for it at all. Wow.
1: That's yeah. I actually yeah. really liked it. Um, but what did you think about the, the scene between the two Clegane brothers? What did you think about the, 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 the setting, the, the scene itself?
0: Uh, I, I thought that was one of the most satisfying things of the episode. I mean, that was pure fan service and I didn't have a problem with that whatsoever because I thought they did a great job. I thought it was beautifully shot. I love that they were on this amazing staircase. I thought, um, they both got in some great shots on one another and I thought it was just sick in a, in a positive way how we just saw that the mountain really is a zombie like he he got stabbed in the chest and he got stabbed in the all the way through the back of his skull through the eye and it was just like nothing Uh. you know i just thought it was really interesting and then you know he pulls the same move on the hound that he did on the viper and starts you know squishing his eyes in and uh I was just like, no, the hound is not going out this way. This is not happening again. I don't want to see this. And then all of a sudden the hound just, you know, gets every last bit of energy that he has and they burst through the wall over the edge into the flames. I, I thought it, I thought it was great. I loved it. I just didn't like the way that his makeup was on camera.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It was a very raw scene between those two. Yeah. Like, very raw. And I like that. I mean, it felt, it, it should feel raw between those two. And I think maybe my favorite part of this whole scene is the way Cersei just kind of mousely kind of just creeps down the stairs <laughs> right by Sandor Clegane.
0: <laughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm just, I'm just going to go over here. Thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I really like that a lot. Uh, also Kyburn gets his head smashed in as well. So he gets killed by his own monster. I don't oh, have
0: I- any problem with that whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I kind of would have liked to have seen Arya get the kill on him, actually.
0: Nah, I think the mountain deserved every bit of that.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably... I think you're right. I think it's probably more fitting that the mountain ended up being the one that got the kill. But let's also talk about Arya in here. Because I've heard some people complaining about her arc in this particular episode. Um I I understand a little bit of what they're saying that that she didn't do very much, but I also think that there are some important character beats in there for her because it involves her making a a critical character choice that I think uh, is is ultimately good for her.
0: So talk about that. I was going to say, talk about that. What are are, are these these character choices that you think are good?
1: Uh, So, you know, she has that great scene with the Hound, where he says, if you come with me, you're going to die. You know, basically talking about vengeance, right? Like if you, if you seek reference, if you seek vengeance without any thought for, you know, anything else, without any connection to your own humanity, you're going to end up dead. And I think in that moment, she makes a choice and it's a character choice that I think is, is good for her because she decides to to forego vengeance. She decides to make the opposite choice that Daenerys made in a sense. Like she could have sought out Cersei. She could have killed Cersei. She could have but she might she may have died in the process, you know, and was vengeance worth the sacrifice? And Daenerys made a choice to proceed for with with a different kind of vengeance, admittedly, but um I think there's a, a bit of a contrast there.
0: I don't think Arya is out of the clear with vengeance.
1: You think she's going to go after Daenerys?
0: Possibly, because she saw the horrors firsthand of what Daenerys was unleashing.
1: Yeah, I. I but I also think I, I think you're right. I, I I'm not saying that you're wrong there, but I do think they made it a point to show that. Arya's immediate instinct when going to King's Landing was to take life. After she separated from the Hound, it's almost as though she becomes a little bit more back in touch with her own humanity in that then she tries to preserve life for well, the rest of the episode. She doesn't do it well, but.
0: No, and that's the thing is that she, she had that moment where she was trying to preserve life and she was trying to help that mother and that child. And then she ultimately found out that, it, you know what, in the end, it didn't even matter. You know, so I don't I don't know if that was enough to make her turn. I think she had a moment where she tried to and then found out, you know what, it doesn't matter. They still died. Yeah,
1: yeah you might be right about that because I, I think that that may be what the, the symbolism of the white horse is at the end of the episode. Yeah.
0: Because you have the whole
1: like death row to white horse thing and then she climbs on that white horse and... Uh, you know, is she now death coming for Daenerys next? But is see, that does that mean that, in her effort to save life, that she um, she tried it didn't work and now she has to become death again?
0: But see, it could also um, it, it could also symbolize um, a hero, um, sure. because you know you just think of a, a knight on a white horse coming to save the day. So I, I think it, I think it can have a double meaning for her. Yeah, it, she could be the bringer of death, but then she's going to save everybody from Daenerys, possibly.
1: Yeah, because this now does create a Daenerys problem. Because we, I, I mean, I feel like it's almost impossible for Daenerys to end up on the throne now, now that she's taken it, but she's kind of gone uh, way too far in her pursuit. Yeah, I,
0: I've... I've never now the method of this has has definitely changed and has not ended up the way that I thought that it would. But I never did think that Daenerys was going to make it out of this series alive. I yeah. never saw her yeah. coming we, out we've of this alive. We said that alive. for a while now. We have, and I and I was. I really wanted to believe that she was gonna go out in a in a heroic, almost self sacrif in a self sacrificing way. And that was gonna be a bittersweet thing where you're happy that there was a, a they won, um, but at what cost? And, you know, that was the completion of her arc. And uh I I was not expecting her to turn this way, but I still I'm I don't know if I'm okay necessarily with Arya going to take out Daenerys. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I really think it's going to end up being Jon that does it.
1: There's a there's a potential connection between all three of those characters too. That, that there could yeah. be some collision coming that involves those three characters in some, some way, yeah. shape, or form. Like if... Arya does try to kill Daenerys and fails. What does that mean? Will she? Will Daenerys try to execute Arya, and then Jon pushed into a decision point, or you know,
0: or will well, it be the other way around? Will Jon tr- have the moment to do it and ultimately not be able to do it, and then Arya does it?
1: Right. Or, or you know, I heard somebody mention this, and I can't remember where I read this, but I actually really like it as a fan theory. Is the idea that um. Arya ends up killing Daenerys, but Jon takes the blame for it. And he would then be keeping a secret to protect his sister in the same way that Ned Stark had to keep a secret as well, that kind of besmirched his own honor. Hmm. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways that it could go. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it is strange to me bringing about a point where Jon could kill Daenerys and I I feel like maybe Arya would be the best plot device to get him there I
0: don't I don't see it being strange at all and and the reason why is because of the moment uh when they're on the street and the Lannister army surrenders and the bells are ringing and they drop their swords and you know, we see Gray Worm. You know, skewer them, and the the Northern men are starting to go crazy. And uh, and and John is just standing there amongst all of this chaos, and he's seeing what Danny's doing, and he's just like, "Oh my God, what am I involved in? This is this is this is her true self. This is what she's doing. She's unleashing this. I'm backing the wrong person. This this needs to stop." And I, I think it was you just see him standing there and he's just completely beside himself. And at one point he even kills one of his own men, you know and and yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's completely out of character now for him to do that because he saw what she is truly capable of. He had only heard about it before. And now he's really seeing this firsthand and yeah. And and knowing how honorable John is for her to do what she did after they surrendered, he's not going to stand for that whatsoever.
1: No, I agree. I agree. And the other thing that is interesting about it too, are the way that it kind of parallels Robert's rebellion in a way, because when they did take down the mad King, Let's not forget that, you know, Ned Stark was there as part of the Siege of King's Landing, as was as Ty- Tywin Lannister. And don't forget, Tywin had, um, you know, Rhaegar's uh, children killed, you know, by the mountain. And so there is that kind of cruelty that has come before on a Siege of King's Landing. And now we're seeing this kind of uh, on a much larger scale here, because in a lot of ways, Daenerys is doing the thing that her father was prevented from doing. Right. So it does have a lot of interesting parallels to the history that we've seen.
0: And and speaking of that, that was uh, reminding me of another thing that they did that I thought was really cool and really well done. As as Drogon is going through and just lighting the city quite literally on fire, you're seeing these little plumes of wildfire pop up in the middle of the dragon fire, and you know we had heard since you know season two that there was you know bits of of wildfire canisters kind of throughout the city um and and i I think at that point it was only rumor and we didn't know for certain um but yeah it was just really cool to kind of see that um happen that was a nice little detail that i like that they included yeah
1: yeah Uh, another thing too while we've been talking about this john and Daenerys situation about you know will John be forced to do something to to stop her um one thing that we have to take into consideration is there is a looming crisis of succession yeah because yes Danny has taken the throne uh if something happens to her you could assume that John could potentially be in line to the throne but he does not want it and I just I for some reason I just do not see John ending up on the throne in this thing he doesn't want it now if If this, all of a sudden, if her actions have created some epiphany for him where he feels like he now needs to step in and and be a leader, that could be a way that he goes. Yeah. But if you look beyond Daenerys and Jon, there is nobody that has a reasonable claim to the throne. Yeah. So I think you could be looking at a succession crisis, which would be very ironic considering this whole kind of Game of Thrones and the thing that they've all been fighting for. And now there's nobody left to have it. Although I do have, I do have a theory that uh, somebody may take it.
0: Do we even know if the throne still exists?
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know.
0: I mean, that, that could be incredibly symbolic as well. If you know, there's this succession crisis and, and John say that, that Daenerys is killed. John doesn't want it. And, you know, they're picking through the rubble and they see the iron throne and it's just in pieces. You know, that's incredibly symbolic. And it's, it's almost like, well, you know what? We don't have to do this. We can start over in another way. We can split it up into several kingdoms again.
1: It's possible. Or somebody like Sansa could come along and and claim power. Yeah. Although I actually thought they may be teasing something when they had that conversation between Tyrion and Bran, where Bran talked about not wanting, and then Tyrion had the later conversation with Varys, where Varys was saying, maybe the best kind of king is the one who doesn't want, and doesn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering if maybe there would be a situation where Tyrion could be responsible for somebody like Bran or Sansa potentially taking the throne. Hmm. Uh, although in that case, under that idea, it would be more Bran than, than Sansa because she does seem to want. But I don't know. I, I mean, I, I could honestly see this ending three or four different ways still.
0: Yeah, I have no idea how this is going to go. It seems like there's so much unfinished business because there's so many things. Like we didn't even see Sansa. We didn't even see Bran in this episode whatsoever. And and there's still so many questions.
1: Boy, that's a great point because think about the implications here. We have 80 minutes left. Are we going to at some point as a viewer go back to Winterfell? Are the characters from Winterfell going to come down to King's Landing as part of some sort of resolution? Will it be, uh you know, will it mirror the Mad King bringing uh, Rickard and Brandon Stark to King's Landing where he attempted to kill them? And, you know, like, what does, you know, what, where are we heading here? Because we're not done with Sansa and Bran yet in the show. And I don't think we're done with Sam or Tormund yet either. Yeah. So how do, how, do, how do they move those pieces around? Like, is this an epilogue that we're going to get where the last 20 minutes is putting the world together after the resolution of whatever happens in King's Landing? Maybe that's it.
0: Yeah, I honestly don't know how they're going to play this out. No idea.
1: One thing I can assure you is nobody will be happy.
0: No, I don't <laughs> I think this ending is going to whatever it is, I think it's gonna be highly controversial. And I'm I'm afraid that a lot of people are not going to find it satisfying. But I don't know. I mean the show has surprised us before.
1: To me, I try not to think of I so many people get wrapped around the axle about the final episode of a series, but I've always I've kind of looked at this season as the ending. Like people are saying the ending will be bittersweet. Well, maybe we've already seen the sweet part with Arya killing the night king. Mm. You know, maybe that was the sweet part. Maybe that's as good as it gets. And maybe now it's time for the bitter part. Right? Like I, I look at it all as one big ending. Yeah. But for next week's episode, I don't know how they wrap up that portion of the story uh cuz they do have a lot of pieces to move around but you're right like nobody will be happy and i think that's one of the things about about all of this that i found really frustrating um is that like i feel like people don't know how to talk about stories anymore like i right. feel like we're so overwhelmed with hyperbole and the kind of like internet whirlpool of thoughts and ideas and people shouting at each other that I feel like people don't really understand how to talk about things anymore.
0: Well, if they listen to us, they could see, they could see what perfectly wonderful discourse can be like.
1: Well, like I hear, I hear people make jokes all the time about like the writing on the show. I feel like the writing on the show is actually not as bad as people make fun of it for being. No uh also benioff and weiss did not sign up to finish george's story for him so if you have a problem true. take it up with him yeah george rr R. martin is the one who failed you by yeah. not finishing his story
0: i wholeheartedly agree with that yeah
1: um but like it's also just kind of like the discourse around it is just so awful and it's not just game of thrones but like I feel like it permeates every fandom. Try having a discussion about The Last Jedi with somebody. Try having a discussion about Captain Marvel with some people. And you end up in this hyperbolic, rhetoric-fueled disaster of a conversation. It's not even a conversation. They're just arguments. So fandoms have become really negative places to be now, and that's sad to me.
0: It is. And, and Game of Thrones kind of was able to stay away from that for so long. Right. And it wasn't until just recently that it's it's reared its ugly head on this
1: show. Yeah. Yeah. Once kind of... There's so much general angst and hyperbole and anger within the zeitgeist itself that once, once you know, culture grabs something, it then becomes food for the the snark and negativity machine that's out there. And that's sad because that's not how I want to talk about stories. You know, I think you and I have done almost 200 episodes of this podcast and we could probably count on one hand, the number of times that we have been absolutely put off by a film. I'm thinking of you, Suicide Squad. And King Kong. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, but I I feel like what you and I try to do on our show are have like meaningful conversations about things. And like, I love this episode. I really do. It's actually one of my favorites of the series. As a matter of fact, I would say three of the episodes this season are among my probably top 10 uh, Mm. for this show. And I, and I really mean that, but I don't blame anybody for, uh, not feeling about them the way that I do. I could see why people may be disappointed and people are entitled to their disappointment. Like, you're not the worst person in the world because you don't like Arya killing the Night King.
0: Right. But at the same time, that doesn't mean the entire show is terrible because it didn't do what you wanted it to do.
1: Right. And that is also such a big thing. in, Particularly in, like, movie and television journalism culture and YouTube culture and all these different fandoms and and all these different things. I think one of the things that we run into is people who have for years established, you know, theories about shows or films and how they think they're going to go. And in some cases built businesses off of these things. And now that those things are not coming to pass, they reject them outright. And I, I don't think that's healthy either. Like there's a difference between legitimate criticism and not getting what you want. You know, and I think, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, it makes, it makes a fan sound like spoiled brats.
1: Yeah, it really does. And I think that's, that's sad because this is actually the, the most ambitious thing that's ever been tried on television. And the fact that it succeeds more than it fails, and the fact that it ignites so much passion in people, is is a testament to what they've achieved. You know, and that's everybody: HBO, the Double Ds, George R. R. Martin. You know, it hasn't always been perfect. There have been bumps in the road, but for the most part, this has been a phenomenal achievement. But I think we get so wrapped up in Kind of the cultural commentary of it all, and and the, the natural hyperbole of the internet that we sometimes fail to to I don't know fail to comprehend things the way that that I, I guess I wish I wish we would I don't know maybe I'm just jaded about fandoms nowadays.
0: You know I I really am um the same way I mean it it seems like a lot of fans have. And not that they've ruined Star Wars because no one's going to ruin that, but uh, it it's just been tainted. And although I have to say, one I think one of the exceptions recently has been Marvel. I mean, that's one that everybody seems to really have, um, for the most part, the vast majority of people have felt very satisfied and enjoyed um, Endgame, for example. It's getting there,
1: though. It's there. There is an ugly side in in the Marvel fandom too. Unfortunately, there always
0: is. There always is in everything. It's it's not everybody is going to be on board 100. But I will say the vast majority of what I've heard has all been positive. Whereas, um, with recently with Star Wars and now with Game of Thrones, it, people are so completely divided. Um, and like I said, I and I'm on both of them. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle because i can understand the frustrations that people have had with both i get it i really really do i think some things that some people are, are nitpicking on they don't bother me as much uh, and there are things that that bother me that i haven't heard anybody talk about um but um yeah especially this with game of thrones i'm always just kind of let me just wait and see Um, because there's so many loose ends. I am so curious of how they play it out because I see it as an entire piece and I'm not going to say, Oh, this whole season is crap because of the writing because of this one episode. Well, it's, that's only a piece of it. And, and at the same time, it's frustrating because now I'm putting all of this weight and expectation on this, you know, final episode. And that's a lot of pressure to put on there. That's, 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 you know, putting a lot of expectation on one thing. And I know that it's not going to get wrapped up in a nice little bow, in this nice little satisfying package. Um, you know, it's very rare for any series to do that. But, um, Yeah, I'm just I'm really, really curious as to how they as to how they end this, because I have no idea where it's going to go. No clue.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, too, because as we as we talk about some of these fandoms and like the way people perceive little flubs of storytelling now as like being completely egregious things, it always makes me laugh because I think about two things. One, I think about Return of the Jedi. And like, I always, and I've, you and I have talked about this before, is mm. like, what the hell is Luke Skywalker's plan when he goes to rescue Han Solo? Cause it, it, it makes yeah. no sense at all. But like, yeah. I'm not saying things like, oh, the writers are the worst people in the world because they fucked up Luke's plan. No, to me, it's just a kind of a humorous thing that happens in that movie.
0: No, you say that, uh, no, the, the thing that you say that about, or that you could say that about, is Phantom Menace.
1: Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, but like, I mean, I've kind of let go <laughs> of my anger about that film too, right? Like, for for me, I I lament the film that could have been.
0: Yes, and that's, and to this day, I think that's probably one of the, my favorite episodes that we've done, was when we did our Star Wars Revisited, and we talked about the prequels, especially The Phantom Menace, and how we talked about how it could have been done better. I still think that's, by far, has been my favorite episode. Yeah.
1: You know, do you remember the theatrical release of Return of the King? Uh,
0: no, I don't. the extended version. No, because all I ever watch is the extended versions now. I I honestly don't remember.
1: (laughs) So in the theatrical release of that movie, the one that won an Oscar for Best Picture, Mm -hmm. do you remember what happens to Saruman?
0: Doesn't he get pushed off the ledge?
1: No, that doesn't even happen in the theatrical release. Gandalf just says... That's where he's going to stay, and they just all fuck off.
0: I don't remember that.
1: Only in the theatrical release did they, in the extended edition, did they put Saruman's death in there. So Mm. in the theatrical release, Gandalf just says their Saruman will remain, and they all just go, and he's that's it. Yeah. Like if that happened today, there you'd be seeing people like boycott Peter Jackson. Right, so it's it's those kind of things. But like that was something that I found kind of funny about that movie. Uh, it's those little things. But like I think we've we've we're consuming stories so personally now that I, I I don't know how healthy it is anymore, and that's sad because stories are important. So, uh, let's just, I wanted to get a couple more thoughts in on the death of Cersei and Jamie. Uh, what did you think here? Did they deserve worse? Does Jamie's arc feel disappointing with the way it ended? What are your thoughts there?
0: Um, I was kind of, I, I was kind of torn about it, as I have been with most of it. I, I think because so many of us had all of these grand ideas of what we thought was going to happen. And it's not to say that I'm disappointed because the show again, what I just said, that they didn't do what I thought they were going to do. Um I was expecting something more and and really because I thought Cersei was so um misused this entire season. I just didn't think she had much to do. She wasn't given much to do at all. And I think that she was such an amazing character. That she, she had to have gone out in, in a big way. And there had to have been something epic for her to go out. And but at the same time. To have her. Like literally almost be in a dungeon. I don't know exactly where they were. Um, to pretty much be in the dungeons. And to be isolated. Literally to be all alone. And to have it not be grand is kind of the opposite of what she would have thought she would have happened with her too, and it, and to have her kind of humanized in that last little moment to see you know her just completely crack and break down, um, I th- I thought was a really interesting choice as well. And, and I can see, I can see either way. And, and yes, I could see this big grand thing, but then to almost like take that away from her and isolate her and have her be in the dungeons and have it just everything crumbling around her. And that's what kills her. You know, um, I can see that too. And that's almost more real.
1: Yeah. I, I agree. I actually really like this idea. Uh, and I, like I mentioned earlier, I do think it's funny that people think that Daenerys went too far, but yet they seem to can't uh, think of enough horrible ways that Cersei deserved to die. And I think that her death, frightened with a tower literally crumbling down on her, is is pretty is it, it is in itself tragic, right? I mean, uh, she is kind of a victim of her own undoing, and there's that poetic note of this series started with her and Jamie in a tower and it ends with a tower falling on them.
0: Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah.
1: So there's a, there is a nice symmetry there and you know, it does it matter if Daenerys dropped a building on her or if Daenerys burned her alive or had Drogon rip her in half or whatever other ways that you devised. I, I don't know, but I think it's a clever choice because in her last moments, we feel sympathy for her. And that is an unexpected emotion to feel. Towards a character who has been so horrible, but that's this show. And I know that there are people who are upset about, you know, Jamie's arc and the way it finished, but you know, if you thought that Jamie was going back to kill Cersei, no, that was never the plan. You know, Jamie, Jamie completed his redemption arc by knighting Brienne and by protecting the Starks at Winterfell and fighting for the living. He then relapsed, went back to Cersei, but was there at least to comfort a person that he loved while they were in their last moments, which were his last moments too.
0: Yeah. And, and I've, I've seen this repeated everywhere and that's what he said, that that's the way he wanted to die was in the arms of the woman that he loved.
1: Yeah. And he did. And, you know, I mean, I, mean, I know there's a world where we all wish that he uh, loved Brienne as much as he did Cersei, but it just wasn't the case.
0: Yeah. He tried. I mean, I think that's the thing is that he tried.
1: Yeah. And he just had that, that relapse, that fatal flaw. You know, these characters all making these final choices that are having these lasting impacts on whether or not they live or die. Um, you know, people have also mentioned that like there's no Valencar prophecy that ended up happening. Uh, no kidding. Cause that was never in the show to begin with. And also prophecies suck. Oh God, do I hate prophecy? It's just, it's just awful. Cause it just puts you in such a storytelling box.
0: Well, and that's something, they even addressed that on the show, too, saying that prophecies aren't always true.
1: Yeah, and and Jamie also very famously said on the show, fuck prophecy. Yeah. And I agree. So I actually did think that their death had kind of a, a nice poetic note. I didn't think it needed to be uh, overly gratuitous or anything like that. I mean... Cersei never had a chance in this thing we thought that maybe she had one final gambit maybe you could say that that, uh, it would have been more interesting for the story if she would have had one final trick up her sleeve Uh, but in the end she was just somebody who was overwhelmed and it is very much in line with Cersei's character to have a really lousy plan
0: yeah we've and we've said that before that she's the worst
1: her best plan led to her own son killing himself. Yeah. You know, so Cersei has historically had some really, really bad plans. And I think that's another thing that this episode uh, really conveys are these characters and their kind of own tragedy. Like, uh, I think tragedy is kind of an overused word, but basically, you know, a character who um, meets their demise as a result of their own actions, really. And I think now we're, we're going to start to see that with, with Daenerys when the way she's kind of given into the worst aspects of herself. Um, you know, I think she's another tragic figure.
0: Oh, incredibly.
1: And that's, that's heartbreaking. And, and her, her betrayal is whether you even call it a betrayal, her turn is, is heartbreaking because we've seen her put in so much effort to be a better person, to understand The kind of individual that her father was and then just to have it snap I mean there is a reality in that story of somebody who just reaches their breaking point but I don't think it's madness and I think that that simply calling her a mad queen it, it just doesn't do justice to the journey that the character's been on and what makes it such a tragedy yeah All right, so any other thoughts on this episode? We've covered a lot of ground here.
0: We have. Um, it 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 amazes me of how how much people seem to be so divided over it. And, and quite honestly, I've, I've found a lot of it fascinating because I think people are bringing, I, I think people are bringing up some really good points. And I think there has been some good, um, discussion. And I do have to say, I know I was mentioning the whole thing with Star Wars. This has not been on the level of Star Wars because there's some stuff that happened with Star Wars that was just downright ugly and awful. And I have not seen that with this. I'm sure it's out there. But I haven't seen it. Um, I have seen lots of people um, going back and forth with their frustrations. And I think some of it is very valid, um, but it's definitely not on the level of the stuff that happened with Star Wars. And I think that it's only going to grow um, as far as people being divided and people um, being very vocal about their displeasure in things. Because I think with this last episode, it's going to... Um, it's really going to divide people. I, I just, I, no matter what it is that happens, I think, um, people feel so invested with this and, um, there's so many people still now that are, you know, hurriedly trying to catch up and, and marathon things. And I think when you, I think there's just something different that happens when you consume it all in such a short period of time as opposed to experiencing it drawn out over all of this time as we have. You, I think you just get a different – I don't know if you get a different appreciation for it because I can definitely see there is differences in the way that people that read the books than with people that just watch the show and now people that are just marathoning and – we're watching through all of these seasons just to get to the end there's it's almost like three different categories of fans with the show and it's been fascinating to watch and yeah we're, we're not done with it yet
1: the other thing too is that Daenerys Targaryen is such a huge character with such unbelievable support from fans around the world like she is a vital character in our kind of modern storytelling, and I think that's the other part that makes it so impactful and make and it draws out so much raw emotion in people. Like I'm actually okay with with the idea of people being upset by it and feeling betrayed by it because that's that that's showing that story has an impact. I mean, we could talk all day about it and we and we have about whether or not it's earned or not, and and that's a different kind of topic. But to feel it in your heart is is. The essence of storytelling and 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 what characters mean to us. I think that's, in a weird way, the way that we emotionally connect to those characters is important.
0: Well, and I think um, just to just to piggyback on how we feel about these characters, I think one of the things that the show has done so well up until this point is that they've shown these incredibly strong female characters. Obviously, Daenerys being one of them and and brienne another one as well and it's it's just they've been so strong and so stoic and i don't i don't know what's better or worse the way this show has treated both of them um because i vocalize my displeasure with how um brienne was portrayed not portrayed by the actress but um as far as the plot of the story How she was last week, how she we just saw her crumble because, you know, the person that she slept with once or twice is leaving her. And to have her reduced to that, I thought was a terrible displeasure to this wonderfully strong female character. And then to have this incredibly strong female character of Daenerys... To have her, you know, slip into madness or PTSD or whatever, you know, her confliction would be. Um, to have her not overcome that, I, I think is a frustration as well. Um, and I, I, I want to, I guess, again, I just, I can't help but say I just want to reserve overall feeling as to whatever they do in the last episode. I have no idea where this is going to go. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the aftermath of this is, especially with Daenerys. How is she going to react to what she's done? Um, because that's one thing with like the Mad King, we never got that because he never got to do what he said he was going to do because he was killed. So we never got to see the re- repercussions of that. Is she going to have remorse? Is she going to to fall further into? this despair, this, you know, quote unquote madness that she's in, is, is she going to go really batshit crazy or is she going to slip into another type of depression because she has remorse over it? Oh, oh my God, what have I done? You know, I have no idea. And I'm really curious as to how this plays out.
1: I am too, but regardless of how it plays out, I think there's one truth that we can both agree on. Do not name your child after a fictional character until you know how the story ends. <laughs> it's tr- it's so true. Like that is nobody's fault but your own. All those poor Daenerys and Khaleesi who a few years from now are going to be going into school.
0: I know, and tell me, I'm I'm incredibly nervous because I have a three eyed raven tattoo. So I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen this last episode. I might regret it.
1: What if Bran uses this whole Game of Thrones to, like, come to power and seize it for himself?
0: Well, then I have a really powerful tattoo on my arm.
1: <laughs> All right. So one more prediction before we wrap up. Do you think this Sunday that we will get some kind of very light tease for the now filming Game of Thrones prequel series?
0: Has it started filming yet? I didn't think it was, start- it was supposed to start filming until later this summer.
1: It is apparently filming as we speak.
0: Oh. (gasps) Well, then I'm going to get online and I'm going to book a flight to Belfast and I'm going to go over there because I know that's where they're filming. (laughs) So I, if we do, no, you know what? I don't think we will. I don't think we will because weren't they saying they they were wanting to kind of keep them separate?
1: they were
0: yeah so i i don't think i don't think we will if we do it may just be something like a title logo like a splash screen type thing
1: that's what i'm thinking because they're going to have a a, a captive audience of about 40 million people
0: you know if we do at any point i think it would be after the documentary that's going to air after the episode i don't think it's going to have anything to do with the episode i think they're going to they would separate it that way
1: All right, so one more ride next week on this Game of Thrones train. So you've heard our thoughts on Season 8, Episode 5, The Bells. But we'd like to hear your thoughts as well, so hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdflixJill. You can also check us out on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you're listening on those platforms, throw us a five-star review. You can also check out our new stuff at LRMOnline.com, and while you are there, check out their network of podcasts. There's a lot of good stuff there for you guys as well. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with the Game of Thrones finale podcast. Oh my god, for all these years. Until next time, everybody, may the Force be with you, because night is dark and full of terrors.